Hi, my name is Logan Walker with the Walk of Life podcast, where I interview people, break down their lives, and get to know what they know. Welcome, Jason McVeigh, who is a paramedic firefighter in Lacey Fire District 3. Welcome, Jason. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Fantastic. Terrific. Sun's out. <laughs> Sun's beautiful outside. Sun's out, guns out, right? <laughs> That's right. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, no place like Raymond. When it's nice here, it's nice here. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, the first question that I ask everybody who comes on the show, um, so like after you pass, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered by? I Actually, I put quite a bit of thought into this. think about this quite a bit, actually. I would like to be known as someone who is generous. Generous with both their, not just their finances, but somebody who's very generous with their time with other people. I can't agree with that more because, I mean, if you think about it, time is money. <laughs> so you are being generous with your money if you're giving up your time. And that's something that people remember forever. That's where memories are made, things like that. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's, my parents are that way too. And actually all my whole families, they're very generous with their, with their time and actually materialistically generous too, but mostly with their time. With and their and you've and their seen friends. that a lot um, growing up and such. Yeah, my dad was always somebody who was very generous with uh, helping people, with getting stuff for people, with fixing things for people, just kind of like that. He was just a very, very generous person. That's a very common theme I see with, you know, good people, successful people, things like that. It's just being able to help them out. And <laughs> I think it's a small town thing too. I think around here... If you notice when there's some sort of big event or somebody has some sort of big health crisis or, you know, the community seems to come together pretty well. And a lot of people around here are extremely generous with just what they can provide, what little they have for how small of an economic area we have. I think people are pretty generous yeah, with I mean, what they have, little they have. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, we see that every day. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me about um, your childhood and um, like what morals your parents kind of instilled in you. Uh, well, I was born and raised here in Raymond. I uh, went to Raymond Elementary School, Raymond High School. Uh, both my parents, very, very hardworking people. Uh, my mom, two or three jobs, usually at once. She wow. worked very, very hard. Uh, my dad was a millwright in the local, local mill before it shut down. It was, uh, it was called Mare Brothers, I think, which is down where... Those, apart- those condos are alongside the water there. Oh, and there's yeah, the yeah. marijuana shops and all. There was a big mill that used to be there. So he worked there as a millwright for quite a few years. Then he's kind of cycled through different mills and he's, he's since retired. But um, very hardworking, hardworking family. So they kind of instilled into me just basically be a company man, I guess, for the most part. You just find a job that you, that you enjoy. You dedicate yourself to that and uh, work hard. Did they ever talk to you about that or is it just like... You watched them do it so much, it was like, that's just how things are done. I think I just kind of watched, watched them and just kind of figured that was just the norm. Yeah. It's kind of the way that they went. And everybody that, was, that we grew up around, all my friends and their parents were kind of the same way too. They all had, I mean, because we weren't the most you know, wealthy family by any stretch of the imagination, but everybody that kind of hang, that hung around were kind of the same economic class of just people that just worked two or three different jobs and worked hard and then, you know. They all got together on, we'd always get together on weekends, the whole families, and uh, they'd have parties and different things that last all weekend. And, and that's special, too. I mean, I remember um, we were, 
not the wealthiest, but my parents did their best to our vacations, like to have fun, was grit get a bunch of families with a bunch of kids our age, and we would just go camping. Yeah, you know something simple. Yeah, you know you you spend thirty bucks and you've got yeah. four tents in one little campsite, and yeah, exactly. all the kids are running around for a weekend, and yeah. I think that's about the cheapest way you could do it. Oh, for sure. My, my parents would set up uh, on the weekends. We have a giant uh, volleyball net. We had a big backyard, so they'd all come and everybody bring something. They'd barbecue all weekend and, you know, play volleyball and drink and everything else and just kind of hoop it up. And all of us kids would kind of hang out together and do our own little thing. So that was pretty fun. Cheap fun. Cheap entertainment. Yeah. And yeah. You, you can't, you'll never forget that. No, not at all. And they... <laughs> Like I said, we didn't grow up with that most uh, financially secure, but we never went without by any means. Yeah, you know, yeah, as long as um, you have food, it's a place to live. Yeah, and that's, yeah, we always had plenty of that. You know, I was always taken care of that way. I always had decent clothes, had a car to drive, always had health insurance, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I was never deprived. But, yeah. You know. One thing I learned in college, um, I took a child and adolescent psychology class, and we talked about raising kids a lot. And it was a couple things you have to make sure when you're raising a kid and that they know and they can feel it and they can see it is that your kid is safe, um, healthy, so nurtured, mm-hmm. um, and, and loved. That, that was like, that's all you need, you know? Yeah. Give them food when they're hungry. Um, hold them when they're crying. Um, don't let anyone just, you know, hurt them. Don't. Yeah. That, that's all they, that's like, that's the key fundamentals to a kid. I was like, what? It is kind of remarkable though that a lot of kids that don't have that, that absolutely don't have that at all. I mean, around this area, you kind of see that pretty frequently too, that just a lot of kids that go without, and that's just kind of the norm for them, which is super sad to see. Yeah. Absolutely sad to see. Very sad. And I I do think that it's not gonna, um, it's not set in stone. Like when you become older, you get to make your own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can either let that affect you in a positive or a negative way, but it is tough. Yeah. You know, it's, well, I see it a lot in my, like in the job, like in a lot of uh, houses that we would go into, like professionally with my job that you can kind of see the, the younger kids, they can, you can almost tell that they have a path that they can go. Right, and you could tell that some of these kids that they were just to get a little bit out of the situation they're in, or maybe just get some sort of a leg up or some sort of positivity, they could take that positive route. But unfortunately, they, the situation in which they grow up into doesn't always happen. Yeah. Sometimes you follow them through the years. You're like, ah, oh, man, if you could just have that one little, that one little push, that yeah, one little positive that's... influence, that one little something to show that you're you're worth it, then that would a whole trajectory of your life. Yeah, would have been and, so and much as different. a teacher, that's something. I'm really paying attention to. Oh, that's right. You're a fellow. You're gonna be a teacher. Yeah. That's pretty so cool. it's like, like a English math. Math. Oh, that's yeah. right. I knew it was something that was unpopular. Yeah. So, math. <laughs> yeah, it's math. yeah. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. And uh, that's another thing um, I want to change is the idea that math sucks because <laughs> everybody's like, oh, I got to go to math, you know. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, what if just math is just sit there and I'm like, okay. How do I change the narrative? Yeah. You know, how can I make math fun? I haven't figured it out yet at all, but <laughs> I have some ideas. <laughs> well, what got you into that? What made you want to be a math teacher? That's... So I had a moment in high school where I kind of knew 
Um, I always enjoyed math growing up. Mm-hmm. I liked um, having one solution. Okay. So, yeah. like, being able to solve a problem, and I know I'm right or wrong as soon as I do it, you know. And so I've always kind of had that, and math fulfilled that for me. And I always wanted to be a coach. Well, I didn't always want to be, but uh, um, my junior year, I taught eighth grade junior high boys fall ball as, like, a volunteer. Yeah. And it was, like, the third practice, and I came home to my mom, and I was like, Mom, I want to be a teacher. (laughs) And she was like, what? I thought you didn't know what you wanted to do. I'm like, I've seen these kids grow so much in three days. It was just amazing to me. Like, it was was amazing. It was fulfilling, and Mm -hmm. I was like, that's it. (laughs) That's your past. Yeah. And I, I want to do something in the social works, mm-hmm. so I, I've always had this feeling that I need to do more for others than I do for myself, and that's something I kind of live by, and I try to make that a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. You know, if if I'm feeling tired of something and friends like, oh, would you mind doing this with me, or you mind help me out here? I'm like, frick, I don't want to do this. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, I will. Yeah. <laughs> So that that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm trying to still navigate. Do you want to teach back here? Or are you going to just kind of wherever you get a job or a particular area you want to work in? Or? So I don't want to teach in Missouri. Right. So I still <laughs> want to stay there. Yeah. As of now, that's just too far away from my family. I've had mm-hmm. some homesickness where I'm like, I, I need to be at least within driving distance. So I will yeah. be in the Pacific Northwest All right. when I you know settle down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at my master's program in... Um, like a Spokane area. Oh, okay. Um, actual seasons then. Yeah. <laughs> the actual seasons. Not just um, rain, rain and summer. <laughs> yeah, 100% rain. <laughs> well, yeah. 90% rain. Yeah. <laughs> 10% summer. But what is nice here, it's nice here, and everything's nice and green. So. Yeah, that's one thing about Missouri, is it's so dead and brown, and it's like a little bit gloomy almost. And like here it's green all the time, yeah. <laughs> which is awesome. Fresh. Yeah. Fresh air. Really makes me appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so what was your high school experience like? It was pretty decent. I, we had a kind of an eclectic group that I ran around with. The group that I that hung around with none of us were really into sports at all. We weren't into the outdoors. We weren't into the most things that the kids around here were. So we had just kind of an interesting group of just an interesting group of people, I guess, that uh, from all different type of family backgrounds and whatnot, but we weren't the typical um, small town people with our activities. So, I mean, what sports were you playing? Um, uh, the only sport that I did was I did track through four years. I, yeah, I, I did um, basketball, but I retired my jersey in the eighth grade. That was decided that was not my path. That was not something that I was great to do, but. I uh, did track for four years, and I was in the band for four years, and that was basically it. Nice. Yeah. I did band, too. Um, What'd you play? Well, I started out as a trumpet. Nice. For all the way through elementary school, and my seventh grade year, I only did it till my freshman year, but seventh grade year, I switched to the baritone, Yeah. and it was just so much easier. <laughs> yeah, trumpets, I played, that's what I played was the trumpet, and I can still play not very good, but I can still play. Not not like I used to be. Not like I used to, but I can still I can still play. You ever pick it up every once in a while? I do. I, for a Christmas present quite a few years ago, somebody bought me a trumpet. So I have that. So I can play every now and then. I'm not great at it. But actually, kind of a side note, one, one year, uh, I don't know if you ever knew Mr. Lund. Did you ever know him? I know. So he was a teacher at Raymond that was the band teacher, great guy. He passed a couple years ago. But 
he had a whole bunch of us come for like an alumni night at a basketball game. Oh, so nice. a bunch of us all got together and um, played a couple songs. It was super cool. It was super super cool. A bunch of band geeks just that, you know, that's special jamming. too. You know, oh, bringing people cool. back like that. That's yeah. It was really cool. My friend Ian, he did a um, like a five minute intro into We Got the Beat, like because he played the drums. It was like the coolest thing ever, at least to me anyway. Yeah, that's band geeks. That was amazing. Yeah. But nothing else who wanted to start the game thought it was cool. But <laughs> you guys had a pretty good band program. We did back then. It was it was huge. There was. Jeez, I don't know, 20 people or so probably. Oh, it nice. was, I mean, for us, it was, it was big. It was popular. Yeah, I, but our band was always like that too. Now it's like, kind of taking a real, Yeah, a it's dive. not, uh, I don't see as many people. No, I don't know why that is. I don't know, why, but hmm. I don't know. And I've been, I've been subbing out of school the last, or at Valley the mm-hmm. last month or so, and I went in there and they have bass guitars and banjo. Oh, wow. I'm like, where was this one? <laughs> yeah, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's something, something different, cool. which is, you know, gives kids options. Yeah, yeah, totally. Hmm. I think that'd be cool to learn, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Bass guitar, that'd be amazing. <laughs> everyone to play the drums, though, right? Yeah, so everybody at one point wanted to play the drums. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's my thing. I'm the drums. Yeah. Yeah, I was, um, I always thought about doing the drums, and that was, like, my plan. And then I was like, uh, I don't want to buy drums. <laughs> I am going to do the trumpet, which we already have, so I would do perfect. that. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. It takes up less space, too. Yeah. Um, so, in high school, did, did you know what you wanted to be, what you wanted to do? Did you have a plan? Yeah. I've always wanted to know from... I mean, I've always known, for as long as I can remember, I knew what I wanted to do. Really? Actually, quite like early on, I wanted to be a police officer, because I thought that was like the coolest job in the world. In my neighbor was a police officer and I would go every weekend like I was in seventh and eighth grade every weekend I would go do ride-alongs with him oh, wow. so every Friday and Saturday I would hop in his police car with him and just spend like Friday and Saturday nights out patrolling with him and I thought it was like the the coolest thing in the entire world I absolutely loved it and then um one weekend I wasn't able to ride with him so he's like hey you know you can go hang around the fire station if you want you can go up there so I went up there and just absolutely fell in love with it so that was like end of eighth grade and that I knew that was a career path for me so that's pretty much what I sought after that was it anything particular that was like oh what the heck I gotta do <laughs> I think it was just the whole family atmosphere of it you know I walk up there and there's you know a bunch of guys that are sitting around hucking it up together they're playing pool they're watching tv they all super funny nice welcoming warm people and it was just it felt like home as soon as I walked through the door mm. it was like this is the the coolest thing in the entire world yeah, I mean that's that you have to have that camaraderie too. On oh, one hundred percent. And I got just got that from from day one. And then I was able to talk the then fire chief Tom Petrozov into letting me move in there as a resident firefighter in my junior year in high school. So wow. I lived there my junior and senior years, and then they started putting me through training. So I think I I started hanging around the fire station when I was like fourteen. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so you have really been doing it for... I was for a long... Yeah, so that's like 30 years I've been in the fire, essentially one way or the other in the fire department. So. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. In high school, so you were still going to school and such? Mm-hmm. I mean, was it just like on the, after school, you just go hang out there? Well, we were able to... Like when I moved in there, so they, they had a resident firefighter program, so I lived there full time. Okay. So I just, that's just where I lived. So then, you know, I go to school in the mornings and um, I did work release 
there too. So two periods a day, I was able to hang out down there and I'd do wash the medic units and the engines and go on calls with them. And I don't think that's necessarily allowed now. Back then, you know, 30 years ago, it was a little more loosey goosey with the rules. So I think I did CPR on my first person when I was like 15. Oh, wow. On my first cardiac arrest, I went with the guys and I was, I, I remember that very clearly. I can still picture the house where it's at, but remember they gave me some uniform jacket. I thought it was like super cool. I was wearing that and I went to this call. And I was in there doing CPR on this guy that some older gentleman that had passed at 15 years old and thought it was just like the coolest thing in the world. Can you kind of walk me through the situation? Like, so you're 15, you got this job and they're like, there's a guy in cardiac arrest, go for it. Yeah, I mean, like they put me through some sort of training in the sense of I knew roughly, I'd gone on quite a few calls before that. So, you know, the progression of most calls the responses that we would go on, the progression were pretty much the same. I mean, you carry the same equipment in, you're doing the same assessments on people, so it's pretty much the progression of every call is, is the same. Some are just more serious than others. So that's the first person I'd ever seen like that, but I had the training somewhat to know, kind of somewhat to do. And like I said, back then the, the rules were a little less stringent than what they are now. So it's kind of like almost on the job type of training, like, hey, this is how you do CPR, okay, do it. Like, that so it's crazy. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. And that was the first time I saw somebody get uh, what they call defibrillated. So shocked, mm -hmm. right? So they took the paddles, they rub them together and they jolt somebody. So like I was hooked. I was thought that was just like the coolest thing in the world. And the guy didn't survive, but like watching these, these medics and the guys just like be like heroes in my mind of like doing these procedures to this person. And I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And that is what I'm going to do. That's such a necessary job. Oh, it's, a, it's an amazing job. I still, every day that I go to work, I'm still amazed that I do it. You get like super amped up. 100% <laughs> amped up when I get like super happy when I'm at work and I absolutely love it. It's like every day is like, wow, I get to do this? This is super yeah. cool. Yeah. That, that's pretty special that you're able to realize, you know, the opportunity that you have and be grateful, which is... It's uh, very blessed. I, I recently switched though from Raymond. So I was at Raymond for 22 years and then I completely started over and I've been at Lacey for just over a year. So were you like put at the, the bottom of the very pool? Very <laughs> bottom. So I went from Raymond where I was at the very, very top, top seniority, top pay, top vacation, top sit leave, top everything was a, a captain and a MSO, trained a bunch of stuff and basically started at Lacey as nobody. And that has been the hardest thing I've ever done with my life. Was it like a culture shock? You know? Yeah, I mean, you go from Raymond with a full-time staff is, I think when they were at full staff was 10 people, mm -hmm. and Lacey's 140 over five stations. Raymond has one station, he has five up there, and it's just, it's a whole other world. Are you still at the same, like, go to the same station every morning, or is it like, oh, you're here, here today? <laughs> Pretty, well, there's, so there's five total stations, and three of them are medic stations. So being a paramedic, I work on a medic unit. So three of the stations are medic unit stations, so I rotate between the three different stations. So I'll spend a couple months at one station, then rotate to another one, and then rotate to another one, or if, you know, somebody's out sick or whatever, then they'll plug me into a different spot, but... And what are your hours? Are you using like the 72 or was? Uh, we work 24 on, so one on, two off, one on, four off. Okay. So it's a really great schedule. Yeah, that's a. Yeah, it's it's pretty dynamite. Um, but like I said, it, it's been a, a really interesting switch. What was like the hardest thing? I think the hardest thing for me was going from down here where I had 
spent years and years building relationships and years and years of getting respect and clout and what we call uh, career equity, right? So you know everybody and you've got a good reputation and you can, you know, you just made a name for yourself. And then to go from being somebody somewhat, so being a medium-sized fish in a small pond to going up there where nobody knows you, you have no relationships whatsoever, you have no reputation, you have no respect, you have nothing. You're just like, just a number. That, that was the hardest part. I think that was the, a big blow to my ego, I think. Right. It was the biggest humbling uh, experience. Of, yeah, it makes you, you know, humbling a little bit. Very, yeah. very humbling. That, that's the hardest part, I think, is being super humbled in the sense that, you know, have all the years of experience, but not in that particular department. So nobody knows anything about you. So what are you kind of doing to, to build that back up, just kind of being yourself? Yeah, I think that it's a lot of just trying to bring a positive attitude when you show up, show that you're, you're a hard worker. Just, I guess, you know, being myself, and hopefully I can build a good reputation for being a good guy, you know, working hard and trying to, you know, hone in my skills so I'm known as a good firefighter and a good paramedic. And I mean, in some senses, it's, it works out better because like I said, I started down here at Raymond when I was like 14, 15 years old, right? So there's a lot of guys that only viewed me as that 15 year old or that 14 year old. Mm -hmm. So every mistake that I made from 14 until I left at, you know, 43 was carried with me. Up there, I just started a 44 year old firefighter paramedic and then I could rebuild my brand if I wanted to rebuild myself. So mm. that's a positive side of it. It's just very stressful. Yeah. <laughs> how, do, how do you balance that that whole stress? And I'm, did you move up there, I'm guessing? No, I live down here. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Because you can commute with the 24-hour shifts, then I can commute. And I thought I would hate the commute, but actually it's a really nice... I leave my house around 5, and so that hour and... 20 minute drive is like the perfect amount of time to get mentally prepared for work. So by the time I get there, my head's nice and clear and I'm excited and I'm pumped and I'm ready to go. And then if I have a shift that's extremely stressful or just life in general stressful from switching everything mm -hmm. around, that hour and, a, hour and 20 minute drive home is perfect for decompressing. So by the time I get home, I'm like clear and headed and yeah, so. Is there anything that goes in your mind to, to get you ready or to get you amped up or anything like that? Or is it just like breathing and trying to stay clear? Or? Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's hard. That one of the, the great parts about the job is the fact that it's something different every day. And if you have a personality that's like mine where you can't focus on one thing for very long or, you know, you're distracted easily or, you know, almost like an ADD type of situation, it's a perfect job because it's something different all the time. And it's like an adrenaline rush every day of different things that you get to do. So I don't know if there's one particular way to prepare for that, only if just knowing that anything could happen. Right. And it's, it's just going to be, any day you go to work, it's going to be interesting. And it's going to be something different. And it could be, you know, it could be the busiest, craziest experience of your life, or it could be super slow and you're just going to kind of hang out. So you just never know. The anticipation of it is. Does it seem to be busy. a lot more busy up there than it was in Raymond? Um... It's a whole other, whole other job and a whole other system. Down here, it's busy. It's actually almost busier down here for what I did down here versus what I do up there. Um, down here, our fire department does combination of BLS, which is basic life support calls, and ALS calls, which is advanced life support calls. Up there at Lacey, we're only doing ALS, advanced life support calls. It's the only ones that the medics go on. So. We don't necessarily have as large of a volume 
as they do down here because they're doing both types of calls. So it's it's slower on some days, but I mean overall numbers wise, it's busier. But gotcha. Yeah. And there's like is there like a certain area that's like the worst? And there's like, um, I think you know actually it doesn't. Not particularly. It just depends on the day, really. I mean, there could be, and even the days of the week doesn't really make a difference. I mean, there could be a Tuesday afternoon you're super slammed, and then a Saturday evening is completely dead. So it doesn't, in anywhere you're at, it doesn't really make too much of a difference. Is there like night times are the worst or anything? Like no, you know what? Again, it just kind of all depends. I mean, there's been shifts that I've worked up there where I've been up all night long for calls, and other shifts where I've just slept all through the night. And some shifts where there's 14 calls and some shifts where there's one call. It just never, I just never, you just never know. That's one of the great things about the job too, is you show up to work and you never know what you're going to get. Is it pretty much, um, you get your stuff ready, you get the whole place ready to go, and then you're just hanging out or sleeping until something comes in? Um, well, typically the routine, the way that it goes is we get there, we do the unit checks on our medic unit, do a few other little daily duties, and then there's a lot of being new. There's a lot of classes and training and stuff that's, that's constant. So most of the times during the day, if we're not on responses that I'm studying something or I'm looking up something or there's a class or some sort of physical training or something, always, there's always something to do. Um, after a certain period of time in the evening around four or five o'clock, then it's kind of your free time that, you know, you have dinner and then after that you can do a workout if you want to, then you go to bed. I'm sure you're hitting that gym. <laughs> All the time. That, that's what we're really blessed with up at Lacey. Some of the stations have really, really nice gyms, really nice equipment, and they they promote physical fitness, physical and mental fitness. Well, as they should, you know. Yeah. Physical and mental, they are hand in hand. So. 100%. That's why I spend so much time in the gym down here, too. It's a nice decompression. Right. Really right. nice decompression. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so right after high school, you just jumped right in? Yeah, I went to... I went through the EMT class up in Aberdeen, which was like three months as soon as I graduated. And then I spent about a year as a EMT volunteer and then I went through paramedic school down in Portland for just under two years. And then worked down in Astoria as a paramedic and then worked in Tacoma as a paramedic for about a year before I came back down here. Okay, so you kind of jumped around a little yeah, bit. And it, I always wanted to be here. I liked the small town atmosphere and I wanted to kind of give back to the community and I liked, I liked living here. So I always knew this is where I wanted to be. Yeah. Plus, something like Tom Petrozov, who was my fire chief, he was kind of like a father figure to me. So I always wanted to come back and work for him and, and serve him, for lack of a better term. That's so cool. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so I know we talked about the gym a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I've seen you in there just going crazy a lot. <laughs> um, so tell me about your competitive nature and how that has helped you excel in, in all aspects of life. I don't think necessarily I'm a competitive person unless, well, I guess this kind of goes, I guess the definition of competitive, unless I'm with somebody and then I feel I just have to beat them for whatever reason. I mean, if I'm by myself in the gym, I don't particularly have too many goals for myself. You know, I have a workout plan that I've written, but if there's somebody who's there with me, then I have to outdo them. I just have like, not necessarily like lift heavier than them. I just have to last longer or be, be there longer. And that's kind of one of the little things I do with the gym too. If I'm at the gym and I see somebody come in, I have to stay there longer than that person. So I will outlast them to make sure that I got there before them and I left after them <laughs> just cause it's just one of the things that I like to do. So that's a, that's a, that's a very good goal too. And do you do that at the fire station too? You see someone? No, uh, I'm not too competitive. I think that with work, 
is that you get to a certain, so I'm in my 23rd year as a paramedic. And I'm kind of at the point in my career now where I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And I'm perfectly fine with what I don't know. And I'm perfectly humbled. I know that I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I know that I don't have to know more than every single person. So I'm very comfortable asking for help. And so in my job, I'm very, very humble, not competitive whatsoever. Gotcha. But outside of that, then, yeah. You talked about knowing what you don't know. Are you seeking to learn those things or is it just like, I'm just going to accept it? It's a constant learning situation. That was one of the biggest things from moving from Raymond to, to Lacey is that they are very big on education. Not that Raymond wasn't, but I learned it very quickly when I got up there what I didn't know. And that was one of the more humbling things as well. So, but they're, they're good at promoting that. They're good at promoting education. They're good at promoting training. So it's a constant learning battle. Yeah. I mean, every day that I'm up there, it's learning something new, whether it be how this medication works or how this body system works or whatever it is. So yeah, it's a constant learning process. There's so much you got. I don't even know how you keep that all in there. <laughs> it definitely, and it, the weird part is the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So when I first became a paramedic, certain medications that we used, they went away for like 15 years and now all of a sudden, poof, they're back into the greatest thing in the world. Or for the last 15 years, they were terrible. Now they're back again. So it's interesting to kind of see that, you know, uh, evolution of, of medicine and, and different procedures. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Do they, do they tell you why they, they changed it? Just like, I don't know. I'd... It's just like studies that they do. They find, oh, this works and that wasn't working. Or, you know, it, when I first started the, the drug sequence for, for different procedures and stuff that we did was a lot more complicated than it is now and it was a lot more um, intense than what it is now and it focused a lot more on uh, individual people just knowing knowing it and not necessarily getting help from other people now it's more more of the medicine and different things are more of a team-based approach to different things where you rely on on your partner a lot to kind of bounce things off of so it's not so much of an ego thing I guess so to speak that you're really working as a team Okay. If that I makes just, sense. I have a really hard problem with, um, not to get into politics yeah. or anything, but like the funding and such that comes from big companies that, oh, yeah. that, that push, you know, for these certain medications and mm-hmm. like, did they talk to somebody or did they get this back in here <laughs> or why did this suddenly come back 20 years? You yeah. know, I, I don't know. I just, maybe I have trust issues or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of our stuff comes out of like a lot of stuff that we do, at least in our department or in the Washington comes out of Seattle fire department is a ton of, they're like the pilot program for a lot of different things. There are a lot of studies are done by them for a lot of different things as to like CPR compression and ventilation ratios or medication for this or medication for, they do a lot of studies that way. So we benefit from that. So that's, that's pretty cool. So they have like a controlled group or are they more of like, I'm going to use this in the field. I think it's, they're going to use, they find different ways to use it in the field, I guess. It's from, from my understanding, I'm not like super educated on that kind of thing, but at least that's my understanding is why a lot of the changes come about, at least for us. Are they, um, are they like available to you to see the studies and such? I think so. I've never quite honestly looked them up beyond the fact of, hey, this is what has come out of this. This is what you're going to do. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Not like you have, a, <laughs> have an option in any way. Yeah, exactly. Like I have much say in it, but you know, I haven't looked it up too much, but you know, like I said, it's really interesting the way that things have have circled back around how things have changed over the last 20 years. It's been kind of, it's, it's pretty interesting. That's cool that you're able to see that though, you know? And I love being the old guy too that tells the stories of like, you know, some young 
paramedical say blah 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 and I'd be like oh back when I started I you know or we used to you know or we used to do this and back in my day back in my day yeah that's kind of the, the classic saying that's the only thing I have is some sort of a equity that way at the new job is to be able to say hey back when I used to do it this way you know but do still some of the young guys come up and ask you um, certain things even though that you're new um, not necessarily up there because I'm so low down on the seniority list and everybody knows mm -hmm. that I'm brand new, so not too many people. The only thing I'll get occasionally is a question about how small town fire departments work or small town mm -hmm. medicine and our long transports and things. I'll get questions about that, but more so when I was down here, when I started, or when the new people would start, I get a lot of questions as to how things work, but not so much up there. So I'm assuming you have some higher ups that are younger than you? Uh, oh yeah. Is does that affect you in any way, like seeing commands or anything like that? Um, like again, that kind of comes back to the whole humbling type of situation, right. of just trying to accept your your reality that it is. In all reality, there's guys that have been in the department up there for three or four years that are 26 years old, and they're my senior people. You know, they're yeah. my supervisors or whatever. You know, a couple like lieutenants or something that are early 30s. You know, and here I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm their inferior, which is great. I mean, those guys are amazing. They have amazing talents and, you know, education, all sorts of stuff that I never I never had. But it definitely is an interesting um, dynamic. It was. It's definitely uh, humbling is the word I keep on coming back to to try to tell myself mm -hmm. that it's one of those, if it doesn't kill you, makes you stronger type of situation. But uh, definitely is the most challenging thing I've ever done, ever. But, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so, you were married first? Yes. Um, and you had a daughter? Yes, just turned 16. Just turned 16. So, yeah. not too long ago, but... Um, and you went through a divorce, correct? Yeah, I was married for five years. Five years. Got divorced, um, yeah. How did that a divorce um, affect your child, and how, how, uh, how young was she when that happened? Uh, so she was, let's see, she, I think she was like two. Two, oh, so. So she was pretty young. So yeah. the, the life, the current um, marriage and current situation is all she's pretty much ever known and been used to. So she adjusted pretty well. And then her her mom and I are really good friends. So that, you know, there's no animosity or anything that way. So it Which actually, is cool. Which is, yeah, yeah, so I mean that, so. it's pretty seamless for the most part, as far as she knows, it's pretty, pretty seamless. So. Um, so when she was growing up, was it like bouncing back from houses to houses or? Well, that's one of the good things that, um, her mom and I always had a good relationship with, with the custody of her is that theoretically there's a parenting plan somewhere, but as soon as we signed it, we got divorced, it went in a drawer and never saw it again. So it's always just kind of been what was going to be the most convenient. So, you know, if, if our daughter wanted to go with her mom and do something, okay, fine. She wanted to come to my house. Okay, that's fine. We just never, it just kind of went on our work schedules too. So we never really. Never really had a, a plan necessarily. We weren't one of those week on, week off, mm -hmm. holidays with this person, holidays with this person. It never really was like that. Was so. it, did you guys didn't really have like a schedule, like a weekly schedule or anything? No, because her mom also was a firefighter too. Oh, so wow. she did the same, <laughs> the same kind of schedule. So, you know, even if we were to come up with a, have a parenting plan, it would have been super wonky and super hard to follow with working 24 hour shifts and rotating each other. It would have been a, it would have been kind of That's a That's cool that you guys are still able to, to work together like that. Yeah, we co-parent really well together, which is really cool. It's really helpful for, for our daughter. Well, yeah. yeah, and you, you guys have any like family meetings ever? 
No, but we do a lot of family dinners together. We've gone on trips together. You know, we float in and out of each other's houses, just kind of like whatever. You know, it's just, we're good friends and it just, we don't ever really fight or anything. It's just kind of always been somewhat civil. And what, what, was, what was the, um, if you don't mind me asking, no. the force that kind of drove it apart? That drove the marriage apart? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we got divorced because I came out and I, did, I had met another a man that kind of brought that, not out in me, I guess that's kind of the wrong term, but um, so being homosexual is what caused the end of the first divorce. And, yeah. and what was like, um, it was just like, I don't know, you didn't bring it out of you, you said no. Like, what was the attraction? How did it shift? Well, I think that quite honestly, the way that it went is that um, growing up in a small town here, it's not exactly the most accepting. Yeah. Right? And especially in the early 90s, it really wasn't an accepting kind of place. And I always knew that that's, you know, I always knew that I was, that I was gay. But a lot of that just got kind of suppressed because... I didn't ever think I'd be accepted or successful in this, mm. in this town or in that particular career if I was out. I just didn't think that was going to be a thing, especially with the fire service being a predominantly male, you know, masculine, testosterone-filled uh, profession. There's like, there's no way in the world that I'm going to be accepted. Yeah. There's absolutely no way. So I just did what I thought that everybody does is that you, you get a job, you get married, you have a kid. That's what you do. I decided that's just what I was going to do. That's just just how it goes. And nothing against uh, our, my ex-wife because she's amazing and a nice, a nice person, just absolutely fantastic. And um, but that's just kind of the way that I figured that's just what you do. Mm -hmm. And I obviously cared for for my ex-wife. She's a very lovely, perfect person. Didn't deserve to get down into that, you know, what I put her through. But I just figured that's what you do with your life. And you just kind of suppress it. And that's what I figured I would do for kinda, now until forever. It's like, yeah, ah, forever is not that long. I can just yeah. <laughs> I can just suppress it for my entire life. It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. Did you know at like a super young age? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for as, as long as I could remember. Yeah. But you just kind of... Just kind of like, nope, I'll just kind of squish that down. And the funny part is, is that, and I think it's complete BS, is that once I did come out, a lot of people were like, oh, I always knew. I'm like... You didn't. Yeah. Like, you're trying to pretend like you did, like you knew something, but there's no way in the world. You, no way. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, especially when someone's married, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, no, that wasn't the case. And I never said a breathe the word to anybody, ever. Right. There was nobody in my life that, that I ever uttered those words to at all, that, ever. That's crazy, because I'm a person that has to um, talk about things and yeah. for solutions. like. When I moved to Missouri and I was by myself, I started journaling because I would have all these thoughts and they get so piled up, I just want to explode. Yeah. <laughs> so I like picked up journaling. Yeah. Um, thanks to a friend's advice, but and that was like my way of calming down because I didn't yeah. have this someone like if I'm gonna have a deep conversation and talk about my problems with someone, it's gonna be with like my sisters. Like, yeah. That's, that's someone it. you're super close with. Yeah. Someone that's yeah. like uh, you know I've been with since my birth. So. Yeah. Is there any way you were? There, I just—it's hard for me to fathom being able to suppress <laughs> something for that long. Yeah, I, it's just kind of one of those things. I guess you just kind of day by day you do, and then eventually it just becomes the norm, right? That's mm -hmm. just kind of what you do, and it just—you know—days turned into weeks, which turned into years, and 
that's just, you know, I, like I said, I planned on just, that's just the way life was going to be. And that's how it was going to go, and I'd be fine. I mean, I was perfectly happy. I mean, yeah. But not knowing what happiness actually could be. Right. Quite honestly. And, you know, once everything kind of came out and I came out and people's reactions weren't nearly what I thought they were going to be. I thought it was going to be some big, huge, like, oh my God, like pitchforks coming after me type of situations. But yeah. quite honestly, when it all transpired, nobody really cared. Yeah. At all. I mean, nobody did. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you're still you. Yeah. You know, they're all like your same values. And so like, okay, anyway, and they just moved on. I'm like, oh, well, crap. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought all this was going to be like some huge, uh, yeah. Huge kind of whatever. Matter of fact, kind of a funny side story with that when I did come out with my ex-girlfriends, she had gotten divorced and I called, asked her out to lunch so I could like, you know, tell her the whole experience and everything. And so when I called her up, not knowing that she had just got divorced, she was thinking, oh great, I heard Jason's getting divorced and now I'm getting divorced. He's going to make some play for me. Here it comes. Yeah. You know, so we went out to lunch and so I told her and she's like, Damn it. I'm like, oh man, are you, are you upset about it? She's like, no, I thought you were going to make a play for me again. Now this is not what I thought it was going to be. I don't care that you're gay. It's just now it just bums me out that yeah. you weren't trying to make a play for me. It's like, yeah, well, sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I said, you know, you're just still the same person. You're still the same oh, morals. And... and 10 times happier now than, you know, it, it, it's an interesting, interesting thing is that you think that you're happy and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, well, this is what happiness looks like. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. That's what it's supposed to be. You had like well, a suppressed... <laughs> yeah, suppressed happiness. Like yeah. I was happy, but like, oh, I could be really happy. Like, yeah. I could be really calm, you know. Like I said, people's reactions, they really didn't care. They're like, anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Like, oh, well, crap. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> Did, um, do you think if you would have came out younger, would that have had any different effect? Um... You know, I don't know. I think that, like, you know, everything kind of happens for a reason. You mm -hmm. know, when I got my daughter out of the situation, she would never have been born. You know, and I don't know where I would have ended up one way or the other. I mean, there's part of me that really wishes that I would have come out earlier. But I had some friends that came out, like, when they were in high school and their lives were not fantastic. And yeah. they were tortured and they were made fun of. And, you know, they ended up moving way out of town. It's just like, oh, the heck with that place. So I didn't necessarily want that. Yeah, experience at all. I can definitely see it with, especially young men. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's a cruel place, especially seeing high school from a different angle. <laughs> oh, totally. And around here, I mean, like now this town's very accepting, very accommodating, and yeah. it's not even a thing. It's kind of like yeah, yeah. whatever. So, um, have you experienced any sort of like discrimination or anything, and um? And if so, in what ways? No, actually, it's kind of been the opposite. I think this town accepted accepted me, like I said, in a way that I never thought they would. It's really quite, quite amazing, really. I don't think that I've had maybe one person that's used some, you know, slur or something towards me. I think I had like a long time ago some, when I first came out, I got a couple phone calls from somebody and they just, you know, would throw some sort of slur or something my way. But I had no clue who in the world they were. There's only a couple times, and but outside of that, everybody's been like super fantastic and nice and accepting, and yeah, I, I just have never had to go through that, and I, it's it's awful that some people have to. I mean, it's absolutely awful. My parents are very both accepting. They're like, okay, 
Right. You know, so I mean, like, and my, the rest of my family, my friends, they're all perfect. So I've never really had that whole... Yeah, which is a blessing in itself. You know? Yeah, I was, like, perfectly cool with it. Like, Hollywood was perfectly fine, and I've never really had that, you know, it's, it's sad when other people have to go through that, but I've always, I've been perfectly fine. <laughs> when um, those couple of people did make those slurs, mm-hmm. um, how did that affect you? Did it bring you down quite a bit, or is it, like, no, just... No, I mean, I really don't... It didn't affect me. That's their problem, not mine. Yeah. Quite honestly. I mean, if somebody... If somebody wants to think that way, if somebody wants to behave that way, that's on them, not on me. You know, I mean, for the most part, that kind of stuff, when that when that happens, it just doesn't... It never has really bothered me. I mean, I get... I mean, it's not right, obviously, but it never really has bothered me. Yeah. Just because I'm like, eh, whatever. Words only mean something if you give them weight. Right? right. Yeah. So if I don't give any weight to it or any thought to it, then it just kind of dissipates. Yeah. You know? And plus, I've always kind of joked with my friends, too. If somebody's going to use some sort of gay slur against me, I'm like... They need to get more creative, quite honestly. Yeah. Like, you know, if somebody's to come up to me and call me gay or like whatever, I'm like, well, yeah, I am. I'm like, okay, think of something better. Like, go deep, you know, insult my intelligence or something, or get get in there deep and think of something creative. Don't be so shallow with like, oh, hey, you're pale and have big ears. You're like, yeah, okay. That's what. <laughs> like, come on, man, put some effort into it, honestly. Like, yeah, something that's not true. Get in there. Yeah, but, yeah, it's pretty shallow and yeah, put some thought into it, really. That's cool. I actually was, I've been reading this, I, well, I just picked it up. I listened to a bit book review on it, and then I, I finally, I ordered it and picked it up. And it's Born in Slavery by Booker T. Washington. Mm-hmm. And so he was born a slave, and then like, came out of it at a young boy, like, I don't know, I can't remember, it was like 14 or 15 when the whole thing happened. And then it was like, him trying to get a job and all this, and like, there's like, he talks about experiences when he's seen this and he was like, okay, like, like you said, didn't give way to any of it yeah. and would just kind of prove people wrong. In mm-hmm. other words, like I'm still human yeah. and I'm just going to be better. Than you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like a truly remarkable story to listen yeah. to. And it's like, how, I just like, how do you not take any effect at that? But he was yeah. just, it takes some, I think it takes a pretty strong person to do that. Especially that end. I mean, that's that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really hardcore. But I think we can learn from hardcore situations like oh, that. Oh, totally. And, and things like that. So that's why I was my one of my oldest books that I yeah <laughs> that I picked up. Yeah. But yeah. Um. So how has um in your career how has being a firefighter and um, paramedic changed throughout your career? Oh boy. Um, that's it. Well, it has, <laughs> quick break. <laughs> um, so how has being a firefighter in an EMT changed throughout your career? Well, like I said, the, you know, when I first started, I think there was a lot more, a lot more medications, a lot more options, a lot more treatment regimens and I think over the last how many years it's gotten more simplified and a lot more effective um, like but then again some medications have started and then circled back around and came back around after they were unpopular for you know a period of time um, like other than that I mean the when I first started in when I became a firefighter super competitive like super super competitive like when I when you test for a paramedic job you test against I don't know, 50, 60, 70 people oh, wow. for one spot. 
Now, for whatever reason, there's an extreme shortage of paramedics. So you, if you're a paramedic, you can pretty much work wherever you want. You I wonder can, why that... I think it's because like the fire service and actually being a, the paramedic side of it isn't actually that old of a career. And it, you're hitting the point now where it was like super popular 30 years ago when it first started, 30, 35 years ago. And so now all those people that started that are starting to retire. Uh, so you get that big wave of people that are retiring. There's not enough people to fill up that, fill up that spot. So I think is which that kind of makes sense. And I think you have a lot of departments too that are that are growing in size. So they're hiring a lot more, but there's just not enough people to fill those those particular spots. Yeah, yeah. The ones what, that really suffer sense? are the small town departments like Raymond, because if you move to the departments, the bigger departments, like on the I five corridor or something, they're hiring, they're paying a substantial amount more money for less work and more prestige and everything. So your smaller departments are ones that are really, really kind of suffering from that. Yeah, and I don't even know how do we, besides pay more taxes for <laughs> that's, it, but that's... Uh, pay is the thing. That's pretty much the gist of it. Yeah. The only people that you get, and I want this to sound in a negative way, but the people that you keep in smaller departments are the ones that want to be loyal to their town and want to serve their community. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily doing it for for the pay because right. you can make a substantial more going someplace else. But they're the in most of the smaller departments, especially this one here. If you look at the people that work at our department down here, are our people all people that grew up here? They're all ones that you know they started the fire department young, just kind of worked their way up, and they're all local people because they want to stay here and they want to support their their communities. Was um, that your main driving switch? Was the pay was so? <laughs> yeah, I think that then I got to a point down here too where I was maxed out on everything. I wasn't going to go any further. No, like, no that was sense it. of There's, growth or anything. No, it was I you know, I wasn't going to promote any higher. I wasn't going to get any more vacation or any more sick leave or any more pay. I, I was just topped out at everything. Mm. And you get to the point too where you get kind of stagnant, right? You get too comfortable and too you know, just just stagnant, I guess. And then you're not challenging yourself anymore. You yeah. just you just get in neutral and you just kind of coasting through, you know, and, um, and then the new opportunity presented itself through a series of different things. And I thought, Oh wow, that could be a whole new challenge in life. So, so did you kind of feel yourself getting comfortable and then you're like, I gotta make a change here. Yeah. I think that I got super comfortable and that was one of the biggest changes too, from going up there is that I was so comfortable here and that up there is not being comfortable whatsoever Mm -hmm. and actually having to like be, wow. Um, yeah, I, there was just a whole bunch of teeny little little things that I felt that I had I'd accomplished everything that I was going to here. And that, you know, it was just time to... But I'd be lying if I had said that financial wasn't a, a de- yeah, decider well, in it, too. I mean, like, honestly, people who say they don't, I don't do this job for money are kind of full of crap. Because yeah. you got to pay your bills somehow or another. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's the way that... Unless you got someone up there that's making a whole lot of bread on the side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, but... But yeah, that, that's cool. And know. I didn't, I mean, the guys that worked there are fantastic and terrific people. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with that. It was just like, it's time for a change. Mm-hmm. So, Which is cool. And yeah. that's what you do at, you know, 44 years old and you're three quarters of the way through your career, right? You start completely over. I don't blame you <laughs> at all. Was, you know? Yeah. Start over on probation where you could lose your job at any second, you yeah. know? And yeah, it's, anyway. It's a good way to keep you sharp. <laughs> it's a good way to keep you sharp to force you to stay sharp. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... So I remember one day we were in the gym, mm-hmm. and um, you you said that you had never been late. Yeah. Oh, to work. To work. Yeah. Never. So how do you keep that kind of discipline? 
oh wow, it's good. I just, that's a huge stress thing that I've never, I'm always one of those people that's early to be early. And I've never, never ever been late once to work. It's just one of those things, I guess, that just the super nervous guy in general. And that would just add to it, especially now with the new job, it's, I think you get like maybe one free pass and after that you're like, you're gone. Right. So, but just down here, it was so much simpler because I live five minutes from the station. But yeah, never once to any job have I ever been late. Just how I'm wired, I guess. That That's fascinating. That's, you know, that's cool. I'm Always early to be early. So the people that show up like right at the buzzer to work drive me bananas. If we start work at 7.30 and they're rolling in the door at 7.29 and 59 seconds, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Yikes. But yeah. That was something probably instilled from my dad, too, is that he's always early to be early. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of how we, we operate. Mm-hmm. When I worked down here, I would get to work you at the very, very latest 45 minutes before work started. Oh, wow. And I tried it when I'm at work up at Lacey. I try to get there uh, usually, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour before work starts. Just because. Just so I... Make sure I'm there. Yeah, you're the first one in the door. I'm the first one ready to go. And you know, yeah. the people recognize that for sure. Oh, for sure. That's, you know, trying to make, if you want to try to like build a name for yourself too, that's a good way to do it as well. It's like, hey, be the guy that's early. So if a call comes in close to shift, you can either take it, you know, get somebody stuck on a call. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. That's but I will awesome. say that on the flip side of it, like I'm always early to work, but as soon as that clock punches 730, I'm out the door. When I worked down here at 8 o'clock, it was like, I'm out the door at 8 because I want to be at the gym by 8.08 because that's how long it takes me to drive there. Yeah. So I am off right at 8. I'm out the door, dressed, car running, off I go. But yeah. They're early, but I'm right at time. I'm just, I'm right out of there at 8. Yeah, yeah well, you're already putting in an extra hour anyway, so, yeah, so <laughs> it, it, makes it makes up for up, itself. makes up for itself, yeah. And I'm sure you would pick up the extra 20 minutes if somebody asked you to do something. Anyway. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, in a heartbeat. That's just the, the giving nature in there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I know you've seen um, some horrific situations as a paramedic. Um, how does it affect you, and how do you keep your mind sharp and on task? Uh, I think that a lot of it, you got to find some sort of an outlet. I think that you'll find with a lot of firefighters that they have secondary jobs that they do or something else that they they're extremes in one way or the other. Like if you, a lot of firefighters do things like climb mountains or go uh, whitewater rafting or something that kind of takes the place of that, the same kind of adrenaline rush, I think. Um, and a lot of firefighters are really fit too. A lot of firefighters spend a lot of time in the gym too to offset that type of stress. But also I think on the flip side of that, we're really good at just suppressing things down. You just see it and just push it down. And th- I think that there's a lot of psychological issues with firefighters too as they get older. And there's a lot of emphasis now on um, the mental health of firefighters. It's actually a, a pretty big push right now over the last couple of years is the well-being of firefighters mentally because of so many years of suppressing everything, so many years of ignoring everything. And when I first started, it was if you had a bad shift, the advice was, I'll just go home and have a drink, you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so that, that's gone by the wayside, thank God, over yeah, the last you know, 10 years goodness. or so. So but that's like the complete opposite exactly. effect of what you're 100% looking for. 100% of what you should be doing is go home and have a drink to, to push it down. Um, but I think that, I don't know, that's, that's a very good question. I think it's all just kind of squished down or, you know, um, pushed someplace else, and I'm sure it'll manifest itself at some point. I'll come bubbling out. What, what kind of, um, like in the trainings and such, what do they have you talking about or doing or anything like that? They really encourage 
go into therapy and they really encourage a lot of firefighters do. I know I see a therapist up in Olympia. The only thing, she, the only people she sees are firefighters and police officers. Okay. So I go to her on a fairly frequent basis, which, which really, really helps. The good thing about being up in the department up at Lacey that has, you know, they have a large budget, so they have a lot of room to be able to do stuff, but they, they focus a lot on mental, mental health. They bring in people to talk, they do classes like every other month on mental health and they're very open and uh, talking about issues that way. And if you need a mental health day, then they're encouraging you to take that off. And so they put a lot of focus on your mental health. But that, yeah, I think that's cool. And that's, oh, it's amazing. Mental health is such a big um, area that it's hard. Like to me, like you can go mental health as into ways to get better, ways to learn more, mm-hmm. ways to like I, I read a lot of David Goggins. You know, oh yeah, he's one of my favorite people of all times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just because he's so be uncomfortable all the time in your mm-hmm. life. You know, don't take no breaks and. One of the things he does is like, I'm on the go 24 hours a day. Besides, when I'm in the shower, I'm at a complete decompress. I think of nothing. Oh, wow. And he's like, I find small, when I'm eating, I think of nothing. I clear my head. I don't think mm-hmm. about what I have to do, things to do. And that's, I think that's a cool thing to think about in life because there's yeah. always another task to be done. Oh, yeah. you got to kind of find that time to empty your mind. And, yeah. Like, which is relax. hard to do. Yeah. Which is super super hard to do but yeah yeah it's i'm a huge advocate of therapy though i think that in the stigma from it i think is starting to go away that that was one thing with the fire service too mm-hmm. is i think that for such a long period of time is that having a sort of mental issue or showing that any particular call um, bothered you then it was some sort of sign of weakness but i think that 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 has passed i hope that's being pushed out yeah, the door it's, it's kind of like and I, i'm actually kind of surprised from being up in the new department up at Lacey, that you know, there's these big, big, huge firefighters, these big masculine, whatever guys, you know, will sit in meetings and they're very open with their feelings and touch with their feelings and say, mm. like, wow, that's really cool to see. Like, these guys are so in touch with them and right. not put any sort of stigma on it. Like, it's really cool. So, it's a nice example for you know, the younger people, or even for, for me who's been around for a long time, going, oh, wow, okay, that's yeah, I cool. feel like it's definitely more of an influence on the um the older generation that's kind oh, of like sure. seen it, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's really, yeah, it's interesting. Cause I remember when I was young, it was pretty much, that was the beginning of the, the counseling and therapy and having yeah, people to talk to and such. Is. And it's just grown more and more. And, yeah, for know. sure. Now we're out there, you know, my generation's oh, for sure. filled up the workforce. Yeah. So that, that's cool to see. I was, I was really curious about that, what they had you doing and. Yeah. Like they promote it. They have, and I think that the reason I think they've had some people that have not fared so well mentally and they, they've taken that, those lessons and I'm like, okay, what can we do to improve this? And they've really started a big push and a big program on our mental health, which is amazing. So do they, they, they pay for your counseling? It's covered by our insurance, but they insurance. don't, I mean, they provide like options and, and different things and they have like on site, like, um, I don't think they're actually licensed counselors, but they have people that are there that can kind of guide us one way or the other mm-hmm. as to what kind of help we can need. And they're, they're amazing about that. Absolutely amazing. I mean, at the drop of a hat, if you're to say, Hey, I'm having a bad day, they're right there. They're figuring out what they can do for you, how they can get you better checking on you consistently. I mean, even that department, like I had a really bad call here a few months ago and 
as we're getting the, the medic unit cleaned up, the district chief and like our um, our chaplain and some other people showed up to the hospital or clean our medic units. Okay, you guys are out of service for the next hour long. You're going to decompress. You make sure you're taken care of. Oh, that's cool. When the shift ended, okay, the whole entire shift's going out to breakfast with your supervisors. We're going to take care of you. And then for the next, I don't know, three or four days, I got phone calls from three or four different people in the department saying, hey, just checking on you, making sure you're okay. Anything you need, what can we do to help you? You know, so it's that kind of stuff that's like really like, wow, that's really cool. Like they actually care. Talking about the counseling, what was it? Was it hard to kind of open up to someone and talk about these things? Um, not particularly for me because I I'm a chatter and <laughs> I I am very in tune with my feelings and I don't mind showing them whatsoever. Like I cry on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love to cry. So just I have absolutely no problem talking to people. So perfectly fine with that. It wasn't. Plus the therapist I see, she's flipping amazing. So right. she's super cool. Like an old, she's a retired um, narcotics detective out of Lacey. She drives a Camaro. It's got big, like, frizzy, bleach blonde hair. <laughs> wears, like, acid wash jeans and, like, just an old rocker from the 80s. She's got, like, Kiss and Poison posters in her office, you know, signed. Goes to Vegas and hoops it up all the time. So she's super cool. Super, super cool gal. That's cool. I was curious about that. And, like, what kind of, what kind of questions do they ask you? I'm just curious if I had to talk to a student, you know, I was going through some stuff. Like, what kind of questions could I pick up? Um, like a therapist asks? Yeah. Um, that's like, well, I'm trying to think what kind of stuff. I mean, I think she, she just kind of starts with, you know, the basics. You know, why you're here kind of situations or what kind of thoughts you're having or is there anything particular that's triggering or brings up maybe some examples of different people she sees and see if you can kind of relate to that. But I can't remember any particular things that she... I've been seeing her for so many years. I'm trying to think back of, usually if I'm having a bad day, she's super cool. If I'm having a bad day, I'll just text and say, bad day. And then she'll, you know, if some call goes wrong or if I'm overwhelmed by something at work or whatever it is, I can just literally text her and say, bad day, need to talk. And then she'll hit me up immediately and we'll do like a Zoom or something. Oh, wow. Well, that, yeah. that <laughs> I mean, technology right there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. In the fire, like I said, in the fire service too, it's becoming so prevalent that there's like emergency numbers you can call and there's centers that are like back east someplace that I believe is like all covered. Like if I was having a super bad time, I could just make a phone call and then within however long I'd be on a plane back to someplace in some treatment center for however long it took. So do you think the, um, like the zoom calls and such that is that any different than when you're in person? Cause I know like for me, I got pretty bad homesickness when I was away yeah. and when I, I would, you know, my parents would FaceTime every once in a while, mm-hmm. my sisters or anything like that. And then that seemed to be a trigger almost for me. Like yeah. I, that's when I would get, like, I'd be like, man, I, I wish I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I, th- I, I don't like the Zoom. Per- I like being in person because I think if you're, especially in the ther- for me, if when you go to therapy, if you're in that office, then you're in that mindset of that's where you are. Right, and that's yeah. the environment in which mm-hmm. you're in, and it's a one-on-one type. There's no getting away from it, right? But if you're at your home or someplace zooming, you're still in the same environment that might be overwhelming you, or you're still in the environment where you can't totally relax or be comfortable because there's other noises that are going on, or maybe somebody else is home, or or whatever. So you can't right. totally focus. And, um, I can relate to people better too when I'm face to face with them. So I prefer the face to face zoom only, like in a dire emergency, like if I need somebody like right then. Yeah. But outside of that, I think the personal contact and being in the presence of somebody is definitely 10 times, Yeah. 10 times better. Which is uh, why I'm a big AI 
<laughs> negative oh, person, yeah, yeah. you know. I'm yeah. like, you can't have the same social interaction, and these oh, people yeah. are needed in so many different ways that I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. It's harder to play to your audience too if you're um, if you're not in person. Like, yeah. Engage other people's reactions and whatnot. You know, that's you need that kind of one-on-one, like actually looking at somebody. You get like a stress-free, free, like emotional feeling when you walk into her office. Like it's almost like a habit now for it. It's like. Okay, I'm, I'm comfortable now, you know, I'm safe. Yeah, 100%. I actually kind of relate it to, um, like, if your car's making a squeak, you know, and you take the mechanic, and it, as soon as you get there, it stops squeaking, you know? So yeah. for me, like, when I go to therapy, like, if I'm having a bad day, super stressed and whatever, and I walk through the, the door to go into therapy, and I'm so relaxed and comfortable there, that immediately I'm like, oh, crap, what was I depressed about? Yeah. What was I sad about? Because I'm in a good mood, because you're cool, and I like being here, and your office is comfortable. Now, crap, what was I... Oh. Again? So it takes a little bit to kind of drag it back out of you, but um, that's cool though. That's, that's really yeah. yeah. She's she's got this big couch that you sit on too. That's like all scraped up, and she's like, yeah, a lot of gun belts have been on that. Yeah, just, that's why it's all scraped. There's a big bulldog that just kind of walks through and sits on your lap. And huh. So it's pretty cool. It's pretty homey, and it's very homey. Yeah, yeah that's very, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um. So, what is the most important thing in your life right now? That'd be my daughter, one hundred percent. My daughter and her, her safety and her success in life. That's yeah. That's an easy answer. Yeah. If you're a parent, that's like the easy go-to answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like her. Her name's my first tattoo that I got because I was like, that's the easiest, safest tattoo to get. It's yeah. Your kid's name. But yeah, by far her her safety, her safety and her happiness by far. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and, and you're emphasizing safety. Um, is there anything reason why or? Oh, I think that actually her mother and I joke about this all the time is that because with our, with our job, you see in a split second what could happen. You see the, the kid that's driving, you know, maybe your kid's riding with some guy who's driving like a jackass and they get in a car wreck, head on collision and they die. Or they're out swimming without a life jacket or swimming someplace they shouldn't and then they drown or whatever it right. is. So I think that that's wrapped up in our minds consistently. Like if my daughter says, hey, I want to go swimming up at whatever lake with my friends are like, mm, no, She's like, why? I'm like, well, because you could do this and then you could do this and this could happen. Mm-hmm. Or can I go, you know, with this person somewhere? I'm like, uh, no, because this could happen or whatever. So you get more hypersensitive to that. So safety is always the biggest thing on my mind for her. But you know, I'm realistically, you can't protect your kids from everything, but yeah, you know, yeah. her and safety and it, yeah, just her safety in general is. Does it, you think it ever makes her feel restricted at all? As far as like, not being able to do certain things or anything. Like yeah, that. I mean, I've loosened up quite a bit, but probably so. I don't want her to, you know, suffer the hands of how stressed I am because you can't control everything. But mm-hmm. uh, I've loosened up quite a bit, and I'm kind of a pushover, so <laughs> she gets to do whatever she wants at this point. So yeah, I mean, when you're 16 and such a <laughs> yeah, she's kind of comes home and to grab some food or something that she takes off again so. <laughs> from one friend to the next. <laughs> yep, that's pretty much it. Let's get away, but she goes by. That's pretty much it. So yeah, yeah. How has your relationship with your daughter kind of changed throughout the years? Um, we've always been like super, super close. I think one of the benefits of having the job that I have is that I get large chunks of time off. So being off for 24 hours at a time, you know, not working a five day a week job is that it enables you to get really close to your family because you have so much time off with them. Yeah. That's, right? that's it's cool. like magnificent because you know, if, if you work the five five day a week, eight hours a day job, I mean, you're gone every day. 
you know, by the time you get home, you're tired, all that kind of stuff. But with our jobs, you have so much time off that you can bond so much. It's very rare that we miss a, a game or a school event or something. Mm-hmm. You know, either my, her mom or I are always there. So we always had a real strong, strong relationship and a strong bond. That's awesome. So, I can cool. now that she's got a boyfriend and whatnot, though I can tell it's kind of somewhat starting to drift a little bit. I'm not necessarily the most important person in her life anymore. <laughs> I've got him on the back burner. That's got to hurt a little bit. <laughs> it does hurt a lot. <laughs> I won't lie, that does hurt quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's funny. Um, so I just have one more question yeah. for you. Or, yeah, one more. When you look into the future, um, what is the ultimate goal and what are you doing today to get there? Oh. This future is up to you. It could be 5, yeah. 10, 20 years, whatever you want. Um, I think the ultimate goal is to get my daughter secure in life where she's going to be successful and for me to be able to retire healthy. And healthy, I guess, would be the biggest. And be able to enjoy life outside of work. Look to that point of time where there's no responsibilities or there's no schedule and I've set myself up financially and health-wise to be just happy. But. So, you mentioned financially. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about, like, what, what do you do financially to try to kind of set yourself up? Well, thankfully, our, our career has a very um, lucrative future to it as far as, you know, the amount that we get paid. We're very blessed for the amount that we get paid. So having invested that right, it sets you up pretty, pretty well. So with that, just the pension alone and then some other investments that uh, hopefully should set me up decent with the goal of hopefully retiring when I'm 50, hopefully. Are you into like Roth stocks and things like that? Um, well, quite honestly, I give my money to some financial institution that hopefully is doing good things with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to see it. I just sure like doing great. Well, I, that's another good part about our department too is that our union has two different financial institutions that they work with that come and meet with us on a quarterly basis and project out, you know, kind of get, find your goals oh, wow. as to where you want to be, where, you know, how much you want me to retire, when you want to retire, and they kind of help you achieve that goal. And there you go. You just covered my next question. I was like, do you meet with them? Do you see so, where yeah, they come, yeah, they come right to the department. They circle through the different departments. They set up times to meet with you. And they you don't even got to take out time. Well, that nope, is nope. nuts. That yeah. is awesome. And our department gives us, and they pay us, pay us really well, but they also give us an extra stipend on top of that to invest. Just, you don't have to match or anything. They just give you an X amount of dollars to say, here you go, do, do what you want. Here's your financial people to meet with. Wow. So That is awesome. Wow, you're making so me want to be a the, firefighter. It's, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I mean, like I said, that was one of the reasons I switched because our, our retirement's based on your highest five years combined, right? So if you, you know, I go up there and I took a, you know, probably be you know, like a 25% raise, if not more, that's definitely going to help my retirement a lot. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, could you tell me a paramedic story? It could be scary, horrific, funny, whatever you want. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I'll tell you about the, the best uh, cardiac arrest save that I had. Oh, sweet. That, that sounds so the, awesome. The best, the best save that I ever had in my entire career. So I was at a basketball game in, I think it was Centralia. And what year was it planned? Um, Stephen Ackman, you know him, right? You guys around mm-hmm. the same age? Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay, so it was probably 15 years ago-ish, okay. right? Valley's playing in some championship game. The stands are completely packed. Very tense game. 
and everybody's standing up and screaming. You have a guy behind me, two rows behind me, was up just really screaming, just going bonkers. He was having a bad, he was just really mad at the refs. Anyway, so I look around and he just drops dead, right behind me, smacks, boom, dead. So I hopped up, two flights up, started doing CPR on him and actually did old school, like mouth to mouth on him mm -hmm. and doing CPR. And then within like, I think five minutes, boom, he was up and he was talking. So you, you, know, did, you did CPR for five minutes? Somewhere around that area, maybe a little bit less. Wow. He woke up like, and by the time he left the gym, when the paramedics got there, he was talking and everything. Was conscious. It was just super cool. Cause it was like the best save I ever had because there's no equipment. No medications, nothing. It was just straight up old school, just CPR. And then that is nuts. So every year now on his birthday, he'll message me and be like, "Hey, thanks for another year, buddy." And then he came. <laughs> that's down. really cool. It that's, is pretty cool. And he, and he came down to the fire station shortly after he got out of the hospital, and there's a picture of us, him and I, kissing for like the mouth to mouth thing. Yeah. So out of everything I've done, that was like the coolest save I ever had because that's where everything lined up, everything worked how it was supposed to work and had, had a huge crowd watching you. Oh, that was, yeah, it was like a hero. Like everybody's just surrounded around or like doing CPR, you know, and then the game started back up again, went and sat down. Uh, so <laughs> that was pretty cool. I mean, there's tons of stories of horrific and death and dying, but that's probably like the best part about the job is that Every now and then, every, something you do, everything lines up perfectly right, and you can make a huge difference in someone's life. And mm -hmm. someone could be alive because you were there that would have been dead. Right. So, but that was my, my coolest save ever. That's pretty sweet. It was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And he's still alive, and that was like 15 years ago. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Jason, thanks for coming no, out. Thank you. That was super fun. Cool. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Wasn't as best. I thought it was going to be.